Hi everyone, my name is Mo Zafzal. I'm the Global Chief Investment Officer for EFG and you are listening to the EFG podcast Beyond the Benchmark. And uh, this week we have a very special podcast and uh, I have my colleague Hachuan Yu on the podcast today. Hi Hachuan. Hi Mo. Thanks for having me. Not at all. So uh, the topic for discussion today is actually... Uh, financials and financial disruption. It's a huge topic at the moment. It's one of certainly my big FAQs at the moment in terms of what's going on with everything from cryptocurrencies to payment systems to kind of blockchain. First thing that just really comes across when all these questions are thrown at me is just the huge amount of innovation that's going on in the financial industry. And that's also been led by certainly a number of very high profile IPOs, probably Coinbase is probably the recent IPO that everyone is interested in. But a lot of innovation, lots of interest in the sector. So we thought we'd do a bit of a deep dive into uh, financial disruptions. Probably the first question, what do we mean by disruption? We've recently been you know, talking a lot about uh, disruption within healthcare, within technology in the past, and, and obviously now uh, financials. But um, um, so maybe I can give you some colour, certainly the way that we at EFG think about a disruption. First of all, disruption has got to happen in an industry that hasn't really changed very much over a long period of time. And the consumer experience in that sector is typically quite poor. And so you, know, you really want a, what I call maybe a big sector. You want a sector that hasn't changed very much for decades if not centuries, and you want customers who are generally quite unhappy with the experience that they're having. And uh, certainly, um, if you like, the first pillar of, of an industry that could be disruptive. The second pillar is when there's outsized you know, inflation. You know, Typically, say, cost of inflation has been running two or three times higher than normal inflation within that industry. So you know, substantially higher returns being made by the current incumbents in that business. They've uh, been able to rule the roost, if you like, within that sector and have had outsized returns. Why is that important? Because that's what's very attractive for new companies to come in and to eat the pie of those incumbents. So it has to be you know, big enough, has to have good returns in the industry and big enough for someone else to find it attractive to come in. And then the, the third and it's usually the catalyst that makes all this disruption happen is typically technology, but it could also be political forces such as kind of regulation sometimes, you know, uh, an industry that was tightly regulated now opens up to regulation that then brings in a whole lot of new companies in who've got new ideas of how to um, uh, offer the customer a better, better experience. Or it could be demographics, you know, for example, over the last know 15 years or so we've talked about millennials and their habits are very different to their parents or their grandparents um, and so that could also be a catalyst so those are the three things that we're looking for so an industry that hasn't changed over a long period of time where the consumers typically had a poor experience high returns or or a big opportunity for new companies to enter to disrupt the status quo and then the third is the technology or the catalyst such as you know regulation or demographics that force the change in the industry, and then others can come in and and, and disrupt the um, 
the status quo. So those are the if like the three we call them key ingredients around disruption. So when it comes to thinking about the you know financial industry, it has quite a lot of those same characteristics. So uh, maybe Hachuan, do you wanna do you wanna have a go at thinking about the financial industry and uh, in the lens of of our, if you like, disruptive model. Sure, Moz. So if, if I'm just building from your, your framework here, so I just make kind of three points. You know, the, the first is, you know, the global financial market is absolutely huge. You know, the total um, today financial assets held globally are in excess of $400 trillion. That's four or five times the global GDP. And so there's, there's a huge incentive for people trying to innovate because the potential reward is, is huge. And then secondly, uh, as, as you said, kind of, you know, the, the financial system is, is indeed very old, you know, from, from the central banks as, as lenders of last resorts to banks and insurance that act as intermediaries and then kind of bonds and equities and cash as the main financial instruments. They've all been around for centuries. And actually, if we look at the top 20 companies in the MSCI financial index, the average age is 135 years. Um, and yet, interestingly, you know, unlike the consumers who love their iPhones, their Tesla cars, or using Amazons, most people probably hate their banks and insurance companies. So there's, there's clearly a lot of room for improvement. Um, and thirdly, you know, we, we can delve into the drivers and catalysts into more, in more detail later. But I just want to give an example here. Um, if we look at banks, you know, you just consider the, the, the traditional barriers to entry. First is an extensive branch network as the main distribution channel. Now that's gone because you know digital branchless bank, banks are totally acceptable. You know, for for example, here this is all private companies, so not listed. Monzon, Revolut in UK, N26 in Germany, Chime in the US. They're all getting significant tractions. And then secondly, it's a scale advantage. You know, 20 years ago, if someone tries to build a new bank, the upfront cost is huge in setting your own internal systems and in the physical infrastructure. And now you can just get most of these things from the cloud on a subscription basis, you know, be it the core banking system or the network infrastructure. And thirdly, as you said, you know, regulations, traditionally, that, that, that's a moat for the incumbents. But it's becoming increasingly favorable for the newcomers. Like, for, in, for example, in Europe, you know, we have you know, opening up of the customer data through open APIs. And then lastly, you know, the, the banks used to make a lot of money, but they make less so now because the interest rates are coming down and there's a higher capital requirements. So naturally, they have to be a lot more aggressive in um, increasing the efficiency themselves through technology. So that's kind of my lenses, uh, you know, when looking at financial market disruptions. So there's obviously a huge amount of catalysts out there that are driving you know, companies to change. Obviously, lots of venture capital money has, has come in. Maybe you can just give some kind of highlights in terms of the extent of the innovation and, and how they are gathering speed going forward with respect to the, the pace of innovation within the financial industry? Yeah, sure. I mean, there's, there's a lot of exciting things we, we can talk about here. A lot of things is happening. I, I try to group them a little bit. Um, first, 
this kind of, we can think kind of through the connectivity. So, you know, like cloud migration, for example, you know, so traditionally banks probably had their core banking systems customly built in the 80s or 90s. It's simply just not up to task anymore. A, a normal bank probably spend 80% of its IT budget doing the maintenance patchwork just to keep it going. So that leaves 20% of your IT budget for innovation. And now you have the option to migrate your core banking system to the cloud and to be managed by a more competent third-party software developer. So the maintenance cost drops from being 80% of your IT budget to 40%. So that you have 60% of your budget now uh, can be spent on growth in, uh, initiatives versus 20% before. So that is effectively tripling your real IT budget. Um, another benefit is that, you know, you know the, the different systems can talk to each other. So before, you know, the current accounts, your mortgage accounts, your loans, investments, your insurance, they're all in different verticals. So now if you get a, a new system that's, you know, cloud-based, you can bring everything together. So the banks can have a much better view uh, and, and manage customers. Uh, and a similar similar trend in terms of connectivity is, is obviously you know 4G and 5G. You know that allows digital payments to be, become easier. Banking apps are becoming more and more powerful. And over time, 5G IoT will bring a lot of uh, possibilities from the, the data it generates. So that's the first trend. The second trend is just the, the compute power. So that comes from you know the, the semiconductors as predicted by Moore's law. So that's your big data, AI, machine learning. Um, some examples is robotic process automation. So that gives the manual tasks to the machines instead of humans. So, uh, you know, like uh, think about a, a bank as well here. If you have a hundred person workforce, rather than 70 people doing the labor work, you can reuse that to probably 20. Um, and then also things like um, bring down costs in serving smaller customers. So like robot advisors, so they can offer uh, financial inclusions to the you know, less endowed families that probably economically wouldn't work for a human financial advisor or uh, pricing loans and insurance to smaller companies more effectively. And also the authorization rates in payments, you know, like striking the right balance between getting payments through quickly, but also the fraud detection. There's a lot of work that went behind the scenes, you know, how Visa can process up to 20,000 transactions a second. Uh, the third strand we, we can talk about is, you know, the cryptocurrency. It's this hot topic again, uh, total cryptocurrency market cap exceeded $2 trillion um, back in April. So that come a long way since uh, Satoshi's uh, paper that was published um, in, in 2008. Um, but blockchain goes far beyond as, as a storage of value, which is what's mostly used currently. You know, the, the distributed ledger system has many potential applications in data storage, cross-border payments, uh, smart contracts, supply chain management. Uh, if we just do an analogy here, um, blockchain uh, is like the internet, cryptocurrency is um, like email, and Bitcoin is like Outlook. So I think the, the, the opportunity here is also pretty significant. And then lastly, um, it's not just tech innovations, but the behavioral things as well. I mean, millennials are coming of age. You know, their, their assets have expanded tenfold in the last decade. So they demand things like 
ESG. That's very important. And therefore, the companies just need to respond to that, those needs. Yeah, just just a huge amount of data needed and a huge amount of innovation. I think we could just keep on going on and on and on. Uh, yeah. To maybe put this into context in terms of some real numbers, some of the work you've done, you're saying that there's about $5.9 trillion of wealth is just US millennials alone at the moment. And, uh, and that has increased mm. tenfold. Uh, it was only $500 billion a decade ago. Uh, so the millennials are obviously getting a lot richer, more wealthier, much more influential in terms of the products. Uh, you, you talk about ESG and climate type of products that they are interested in. Uh, their behaviors are, are obviously very different. And uh, certainly um, companies and uh, organizations need to address that. In 2020, I think you said that $1.7 trillion are in sustainable funds. Um, and that's grown 50% just in the last 12 months. The numbers are just, you know, absolutely um, e- extraordinary. One sort of um, catalyst is always needed is money coming in to drive this innovation. Have you seen a lot of money going into, for example, venture capital or private equity that are really funding all this innovation? Because, you know, at the low end, to get incumbents to come in or, or, or to challenge those incumbents, you need the pipeline of investors to come in to to fund them any thoughts in terms of kind of venture capital and private equity where where that money's going um yeah absolutely i think um so the fintech investment by vc that's kind of been averaging like 20 billion or less significantly less you know when when we really go back in time um and it really kind of picked off around 2018 so that really doubled to uh, over $40 billion uh, in the last two two years. So there's a significant amount of, uh, of investment. And this is not just just the VCs either. You know, we, we've seen that in the, in the U.S. major banks. Actually, um, interesting point is that the top four banks in the U.S., they spend $40 billion a year on IT as well. So it's the same size as the VC investments. And it's not just the... The, the money that's that's coming in, but also you know the the the, um, the, the, the larger IPOs have gone really well, and then in the meantime, the investors have have higher tolerance for long periods of of, of loss makings. So there's you know there's investors getting more patient, and there's there's more investments coming, and I would say also as, as mentioned earlier, you know the, the the barrier to to start business is also lower in terms of the the, the cost. So all that really helped the, uh, the, the the innovations to come through. Mm. Yeah, I think that's, that's actually a very, very good point. I think you just to reiterate the point you made a little bit earlier is around the cloud. You know, cloud just brings the cost down for everybody to to be able to uh, to either offer services or to compete with some of the bigger companies. It's a real leveler. You know, if you think about it, just a, even a few short years ago, you'd need a big server farm to hold all your banking systems uh, and you need to spend, you know, millions and millions uh, a year to just upgrade, as you said, patchwork. Uh, now you have it on the cloud and it's, you know, it's centrally controlled. So all the updates are done, patches are put in centrally and everyone has the same thing. Um, it's, uh, the, the efficiencies are just are just absolutely enormous. Uh, I think uh, certainly cloud is a is a massive game changer. So if, for the listeners, actually, let's, shall we break it down into, you know, what are the subsectors within financials? We've talked a lot about different sectors 
around the finance industry. Do you want to take us through, you know, what do we mean by finance? What what are the subsectors that um, that are, are involved in this financial disruption wave that we're seeing? Absolutely, Mark. We can probably start just by looking at the, the current financial ecosystem because they exist uh, to serve important needs and, and purposes. And so the way we kind of look at from there is there are really five kind of front offices, if you like, that, that delivers the, the final products. So that's banks and investment banks. That's uh, asset and wealth managers. That's insurance companies. That's exchanges and data analytics. And that's payment solutions. So that's the five front offices. And then um, a back office, that is the, the IT software and the service companies that enabled these front offices to deliver those products. Um, it's, it, it's, 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 in reality, it's, it's a rather you know, complicated web in the sense that you know, the, the company tried to do a bit of everything rather than just fall into their narrow verticals. But I think this, you know, this way we look at it is, is, is a very uh, decent way to, to, to start. So let's um, let's um, let's break that down further, right? So let's take I don't know, let's just take banks and investment banks. You know, what are the disruptive you know features that um, that are you know destroying the incumbents? What are what what are the features that are you know particularly relevant for the banks and investment banks? Mm, yeah, I think you know some some of the points we touched on earlier. You know, the, the, the banks have, um, they sell a lot of products to, to the consumers, um, but it's, it's, it's rather kind of siloed in their, in, in their verticals so that the different systems don't, don't talk to each other. And then we, we also mentioned earlier that, you know, this, you know um, the banks all uh, have their apps um, so people can bank digitally. But if actually, you know, look, looking more detail, um, you know, it's, there's a, there's a huge um, spread of kind of quality between the apps of, of different banks uh, on, the, on the top of the chart, you know, just, just third party kind of app data ratings. You have, you know, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, JP Morgan, you know, the, the big banks uh, have really the best apps out there um, together with the, um, the, the, the kind of, you know, the neo banks that, that are really starting business from, from scratch. So these are the, 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 the two cohorts that really de- kind of gives you the best products. And then on the, on the bottom side is kind of your more antiquated, uh, mid-sized, smaller banks that, you know, they have to have an app because everybody does it, but it's simply just not up to task. You see some of them get ratings uh, two out of five, for example. Uh, that's just not great given the intimacy between the banks and, and their customers. Um, so that, that's kind of what we feel mostly. Um, and also just kind of, you know, as mentioned, you know, it's, it's all about getting your systems, talk to, talk to each other, you know, your, your mortgage providers, your loan providers, um, they, they need to be connected because they, you know, there's so, the banks have so much information on us, they can really do a, a much better job uh, helping us to manage our finances. Um, so, so some examples, you know, the big banks we, we already know of and the, the smaller ones I mentioned earlier, you know, they are, they're private companies, but um, Chime in the US, um, a couple in the UK, uh, Monzo, uh, Starling, uh, Revolut, 
um, and then N26 in, in Germany, and there are a few in, in, in Latin America as well. Well, certainly hope some of those will will uh, will uh, be coming to market at some point, you know, in the future. So the broad sectors are, you know, banks, investment banks, asset and wealth managers, the insurance companies, the exchanges, and, and obviously there's a lot of data analytics and payment solutions, as you mentioned. Now, what is threading, what are the three forces that are kind of threading you know, the competitive landscape, you know, at the moment in terms of, I guess, the current landscape is we obviously in the macro side, we have kind of very low interest rate environment, which uh, is obviously forcing companies to, to look for other revenue opportunities and to, to obviously get uh, a lot more efficient. And obviously we have the uh, government regulations that kind of accelerating all of this uh, and transitioning. Um, and one area that we obviously didn't um, you know, talk too much about is obviously, which is you know hot on the regulators' list, is uh, obviously cybersecurity. Do you want to talk a little bit about the the certainly from a macro environment perspective? You know, cybersecurity. You know, I'm I'm on the board of of quite a few organisations, and cybersecurity is usually up the one or number two, you know, on the agenda given the uh, the pen- potential sort of reputational damage it brings and obviously, you know, client data theft. Absolutely. It's, it's, a, it's a fascinating topic, cybersecurity. I mean, it's, it's, this is a huge, um, huge market and it's very important. So Accenture estimates there's about $5 trillion worth of economic value at risk of, of cyber attacks. And that, that translates to about $150 billion of tangible uh, annual spending on on, on cyber securities, and it, it, it's kind of looking ahead. You know, this spending should be rising at double-digit rate every year, and there are kind of three reasons to it. The first is the higher vulnerability, so there's a much greater attack surface and higher complexity. So in the past, it's like defending a castle, you know. Or your security. Oh, it's all about security around the, the on-premise network. You know, build your firewalls so they don't, they don't come in. Whereas now, as we kind of mentioned earlier, because of these um, uh, connectivities, uh, this cloud, it's a much hybrid working environment. And as 5G takes off, uh, IDC estimates that there will be 150 billion connected devices uh, by mid-decade. So high vulnerability. Second point is the higher uh, frequency of attacks. You know, the, the technology clearly helped our, our daily lives, becomes more convenient, but it also enabled the, the, the bad guys to, to attack more efficiently. And crudely, just, you know, if we think about the return on investments for cyber crimes, it, it, it's, it's very high. So, you know, the, the, the number of rec- recorded cyber crimes have doubled since 2018. And then the, I'm, I'm sure the amount of unnoticed crimes is probably significantly higher. And the thirdly, it's the, the higher cost of uh, remediation. So, you know, just, just given the, the, the rising complexity of the IT systems, you know, given that more things are digitized and connected, and a plus of fines and lawsuits. Um, so in general, there's a lot of fear in the, in the company management um, just because the, the cybersecurity is, is just totally inadequate and needs a lot of investments. 
Well, I think that's one of the difficulties of, of not having a bank branch in the old days. You know, uh, robbers coming into a bank branch was, was, was relatively infrequent, but uh, certainly the vulnerabilities that, um, that, uh, that uh, cyber attacks bring are probably much, much greater, uh, you know, going forward. So, Hatcher, um, uh, just kind of wrapping up the kind of the macro story here. Um, you know, we, we've talked quite a lot around kind of what are the disruptive forces, um, uh, you know, one thing that we haven't really touched upon is, I guess, what we see every day is just that user experience. Um, and, you know, we've got companies like Venmo uh, in, in the US or Revolut here in, in the UK. Um, you know, their, their rate of client acquisition is just phenomenal, right? Because they're offering a much, much better, you know, customer experience compared to, to, to what they were used to. Um, you know, what's your thoughts around, you know, the, the user experience? What are the things, you know, even in insurance that are really needed for um, for that customer experience to just get better and better? Um, yeah, absolutely, Moss. So, you know, the, the, the way I think about it is that, firstly, you know, uh, we consumers are a lot more comfortable with digital products and services, you know, generally as the demography that, that, that was gradually shifting. And now since the last year, obviously hugely accelerated by, by COVID. Um, so I think that the, the number really like is that, um, you know, JP Morgan has 60 million uh, deposit accounts in the, in the US. Um, JP Morgan is a 220 year old bank. Uh, Venmo, as you mentioned, they reached 70 million users at the end of last year. Venmo was founded 11 years ago. So it's just a staggering pace of customer acquisition. It's, uh, it, it, it's, uh, it's staggering. And then the second is, you know, as, as kind of, you know, the, our, our awareness increases as well, you know, we're just more conscious about the products that were being offered. And then we, we're not going to shy away from switching suppliers if, if there's a, a better alternative available. So the, the companies must just offer great products in terms of, convenience, value, safety, and the customization at once. Or they just can, they can lose customers very quickly. You know, some, some of the green shoots that we are seeing here, you know, I see mentioned insurance companies, you know, uh, insurance is such a laborious, um, a time-consuming process, but there are companies out there that claim that they can, they can give you a new policy in two, three minutes, and then they can, they can handle a lot of their claims um, through AI pretty much uh, straight away. So that, that's potentially a game changer as well. And something uh, personally I'm really looking forward to. Absolutely. So um, just a huge amount of uh, uh, technology change uh, that, uh, that's going on. So, um, uh, so obviously financial disruption is just a, a massive a topic uh, for us uh, here at EFG. If you would like to learn a little bit more about what's going on in this uh, area, you know, please reach out to me or to uh, or to the investment teams or even to your client relationship officer at EFG to learn a little bit more. So we're going to wrap it up uh, there in terms of the, the setting the scene around financial disruption. 
it's a it's an extremely important topic there's a huge amount of innovation that's going on in the space we're going to talk a lot more about this and, and delve into individual cases over the coming weeks and months no doubt so uh, uh, thank you very much uh, for listening to beyond the benchmark and we will catch you next time <laughs>